You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Welcome back, friends, to Resurrection Life, uh, an extension of the teaching ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church and also a pastoral project of mine that happens to turn two in just a couple of days. Now, I say welcome back. That, of course, presumes that you are indeed back with me after, well, a bit of a hiatus that last fall brought for me from podcasting. I just uh, point out, brothers and sisters, uh, that uh, as important as I think this project is, I am fully aware that it has to give way uh, when other responsibilities as a pastor or even in some cases as a presbyter Uh, become more urgent. So that was the nature of last fall. I offer that as a feeble excuse, but I am eager to pick up where I left off in a series on Christian parenting. Let me just remind you, we had uh, turned towards those issues that confront us as parents, uh, particularly in the second decade of our children's lives. Uh, We talked about the wise use of parental authority, Uh, a right response to teenage rebellion, Uh, and we had begun to take up the subject of discipling young adults uh, in their emerging sexual maturity, how to introduce them to the subject of sex in a biblical way and in a joyful way, and also how to guide them through what I consider to be one of the most intense seasons uh, of sexual temptation. So that's where we left off in my last podcast. I had some thoughts for you about parenting sons, and particularly in their fight for purity. I was talking about the fight against lust uh, and some of the well-known problems that come along with that. And I was encouraging uh, dads in particular uh, not to be squeamish uh, in talking about these issues uh, with your sons. Well, folks, today I want to offer some thoughts about what our daughters need to hear from us about another subject, and that is the subject of feminine modesty, the temptations that uh, our daughters will face, particularly in our day, uh, in this particular area. That's what I want to talk about, and the responsibilities that she will have as she grows, both spiritually and physically, uh, into womanhood. Now, friends, that's a challenging subject to take up today, and Uh, It's challenging for different reasons uh, than the last subject. So, for example, whenever I speak of the problem of pornography with men, well, that's painful to be sure, but uh, no one wants to try to defend it, and I don't get a lot of pushback talking about pornography as a very big problem, especially for men. But friends, when I speak about immodesty uh, with women, uh, that's a hard subject too, but for different reasons. I find that fewer people, men and women, are as ready to admit that this is a big problem, even in the church. And for a variety of reasons, there's a lot more pushback uh, to this kind of subject. Uh, Yeah, sure, Christians may agree uh, in theory, that our daughters need to dress and behave modestly. That's in the Bible, after all. We all know that. But coming to practical convictions about what modesty is, well, I think 
There are a lot of Christians who will just shrug at that and say, oh, good luck with that. It's just so subjective a subject. Too many judgment calls involved, and too many good people differ on this subject. So can we just talk about something a little more practical? Well, friends, uh, the reluctance to face squarely the sin and temptation of immodesty uh, presents not just big problems for the church. It also will eventually present big problems for your parenting of teenage young women in our very sexualized society. I think a lot of parents with teenage daughters, if they engage with them at all on the subject of modesty, are content to just occasionally veto something that daughter wants to wear because it, quote, crosses a line. And of course, the line that it crosses is very intuitive to mom or dad, but It's certainly not intuitive to their daughter, and so, of course, that becomes a point of conflict, and parental judgment in the matter seems very arbitrary. And if the truth be known, uh, parental standards are often not very well thought out. And when that becomes clear to your teenager, uh, you are in the process of losing your leadership uh, in this area. So, folks, this is how I'm going to tackle this uh, unpopular Uh, somewhat controverted subject. Uh, In this podcast uh, today, I'm going to talk to parents about cultivating the virtue of modesty in their daughters. And uh, this is just a straightforward compliment to the last podcast where I was talking about cultivating sexual purity in your sons. But um, along the way, I'm quite aware that I may raise some questions, even some concerns among some who are listening. And so, I've already begun to prepare a a follow-up podcast, a little addendum to this one. I might call it Modesty for Dads and Moms, uh, where I'll try to anticipate some of those questions uh, or concerns. So once again, I'm going to organize this podcast under three big questions. And the first of those three questions is this. Why is discipleship in modesty so vital a part of parenting daughters. So I'm raising this question first because, of course, modesty is by no means an exclusively feminine issue. So as the Congregation of Resurrection has seen in recent days, after Adam and Eve fall uh, into sin there in the garden, they both become ashamed of their nakedness. They both seek to clothe themselves with a kind of newfound modesty. The biblical expression, uncovering one's nakedness, uh, is a matter of shame all throughout the Bible for both men and women. And in modesty, I just want to say this uh, at this point, it's something both men and women can be guilty of. Uh, Folks, we live in an age of what I'll call sexual exhibitionism. If you've got it, flaunt it seems to be the motto of most. And uh, this can be observed in men as well as women. Our sons can be drawn to this as well as our daughters. Uh, Narcissism of this kind is a gender-neutral vice, you might say. But having made that acknowledgement, folks, I want to point out that when the Apostle Paul takes up the subject of modesty, he apparently is convinced that it has particular relevance for women. I'm quoting 1 Timothy 2, 
I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. That's just one of many places where Paul singles out the saints according to their uh, station in life. And in this case, he singles out men first and then women and has a special word of exhortation for both of them. And we're right, folks, to see in Paul uh, the subject of modesty as something especially urgent for women uh, to hear instruction about. Your daughters especially need instruction in this subject. Can I just point out that this is no different than when Jesus speaks, as we saw last time, of lust as a uniquely masculine sin. Yes, men and women are guilty of lust, but it's uniquely a problem for men. Paul talks about immodesty as if it's particularly a woman's problem. Why? Why is this the case? Well, friends, uh, the answer, of course, lies in something that's basic to our sexuality as men and women. And it's something that both we and our children uh, need to be clear about. In my last podcast, I pointed to the reason that lust uh, is a very guy problem. Men are more visually oriented in their sexuality than women. They like to look. Well, folks, today I'm pointing to the counterpart of this. If men like to look, women like to be looked at. In other words, our daughters like to be noticed as attractive. That begins early and innocently enough, but they will eventually come to appreciate the effect their sexuality has on men around them. They will come to have the temptation uh, to cultivate a certain look uh, that our culture calls sexy. Now, as you absorb that, uh, hear what I'm not saying. I'm certainly not saying that every form of male attention to the female form, no matter how boorish or uncouth it is, is something women welcome. I am not saying that. Many times when that attention is demeaning, it's rightly offensive to women. The whistles, the cat calls from the road workers, it ought to be more than off-putting. Uh, still, I have had testimony from more than one woman that even when it's objectionable, it's also true that it's nice to be noticed. I submit to you, being noticed by men as physically attractive is the longing of every woman. And please listen now to the next thing I'm going to say. Uh, this is due to something that God himself created originally very good. This is the pleasure at being sexually desirable to a man. And that, in the proper context, is a wonderful thing. It's God's invention. Last time I quoted the Song of Solomon, where he is describing in somewhat explicit detail the physical beauty of his beloved and what is her response? I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. You should hear in that. 
uh, a delight in the reality that she is sexually desirable to her lover. This is good. This is what God has ordained. But just as that desire itself in the man is a natural uh, sexual interest that can be indulged in sinful ways, immodesty is a natural sexual interest being indulged in a sinful way as well. Uh, It's seeking to be sexually desirable apart from the covenant of marriage that sex was intended for. So in answer to this first question, I'm submitting that modesty is a particularly feminine issue because of the way men and women are wired. Immodest men will never be the cultural phenomenon that immodesty in women has always been. Um, I'd rather think most women are actually comparatively unaffected by masculine immodesty. They're even turned off by it. But this can be seen at every turn in our culture. Immodesty in women that men sinfully want and immodesty in women that women are sinfully eager to provide. So, brothers and sisters, my fellow parents, this difference between men and women needs to be part of the talk, as we call it, with your daughters, or rather, part of the multiple conversations that you will have about how sexuality works in men and in women. So, when I was speaking in a podcast called How to Have the Talk, I uh, gave myself as an example talking with my son or my sons um, and pointing out that they have and will have more and more an emerging interest in girls and particularly in girls' bodies. And uh, this is itself something good. But, son, I said, this can also be a source of temptation. So we need to talk about that. Well, here I'm saying something comparable should be said uh, to our daughters, the mirror image of it. Maybe not the first conversation, but eventually explain to your daughters, brothers and sisters, uh, the fascination that men have with the female form. <laughs> explain that even the sight of the female form uh, is of a great delight to men. This is something God's ordained for marriage as a way for wives to enjoy the pleasure of their husbands in them. But modesty involves girls and young women saving the pleasure of being looked at, being delighted in visually for marriage. Do you hear the balance that I continue to keep keep striking in this whole subject? I'm wanting every time the subject is about sex uh, between parents and their kids to convey great enthusiasm for what God has ordained. It's wonderful. It's a blessing. And also great moral distaste, even revulsion, at what sinful people do with something God uh, first created good. By the way, these kinds of conversations with your daughters as they're learning about the larger subject of their sexuality, will be very helpful to them as they navigate in a sex-soaked society. Uh, So you're not going to be able to shield them from scandalous examples of immodesty that they will be confronted when they go out, out and about. And they need to know why this is. What 
explains this in our world. It's a twisting and cheapening of something that God made good. Sinful men like to see the bodies of women who are not their wives. Sinful women like to give something to see to men who are not their husbands. This is the explanation, uh, dear, as you speak uh, with your daughter. So in those early conversations about sex with your daughters, folks, take the opportunity to talk about modesty because you want the point of modesty uh, to be God's point, which is protecting something that is precious to him. It's not just following certain arbitrary rules. It is talking about how to preserve God's great invention of sexual delight and pleasure uh, for the context which God first placed it in. And as I move on from this first question, let me just add, brothers and sisters, uh, have the talk with your daughters about modesty when you're first talking about these other things, and don't wait to talk about modesty until you are falling out of your chair at what your daughter came downstairs wearing. <laughs> it's, um, it's a little uh, uh, late um, to be beginning then, though never too late, I add. Uh, this needs to be part of the birds and the bees talk. Um, talk about it well before it's registering in your mind uh, as an issue because your daughter's figure has begun to attract the attention of the guys. So, oh, all that under this first question, why is discipleship and modesty so vital a part of parenting for daughters? So delving more deeply into our subject, here's the second question I want to take up, and that is, what is the aim of modesty? Another way of asking this question would be perhaps, what is the error of immodesty? We've been talking about modesty already, and long enough for us to begin to try to define it. And as we do that, let me just point out that the Bible, both uh, in our modern English translations and in the original, uh, is speaking of modesty actually in a couple of ways. There's a couple of aims uh, that modesty is seeking. Modesty is something that, number one, preserves purity, and number two, modesty is something that preserves dignity. Now, the first of those is the main subject of this podcast, uh, modesty as a certain kind of care not to put our sexuality on display uh, in unedifying ways, you might say. But I just want to make the observation that there is another kind of modesty, and uh, though it's not so much the concern of this podcast, it uh, could be defined as a certain kind of care not to put our brokenness on display in shameful ways. You're, you should know this because you will encounter that sense of modesty in a place like 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's making a larger point about uh, the dynamics of life in the body of Christ, the church, but he says, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, uh, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. He's making an appeal here to uh, the way we naturally and properly try to preserve our dignity 
uh, by a certain kind of modesty about those parts of our body which are, well, in the ESV, less presentable. I've used the illustration with uh, the folks at Resurrection uh, of the congressman from Texas, uh, former Navy SEAL, uh, who wears an eye patch. So in the service of his country, he lost that eye through an improvised explosive device. And the question, of course, why doesn't he just let us all see his empty eye socket has a very obvious answer. He has this instinct uh, to cover what is unsightly uh, or broken in some way. Folks, um, that's particularly why Adam and Eve are suddenly ashamed to be naked and want to be covered. They come to have a sudden modesty impulse. It's because they're realizing that something about themselves is now inglorious, unpresentable. It's sin. Uh, So there's a broader, we might say, kind of modesty or aim of modesty that has little to do with sexual purity. It's just a matter of dignity uh, to cover what uh, Paul calls our unpresentable parts. Um, By the way, (laughs) our culture is in rebellion against both kinds of modesty. Uh, We're not only encouraged, if you've got it, flaunt it, We're also encouraged, even if we don't have it, quote-unquote, to let it all hang out. And uh, one of those is a threat to purity. Uh, The other of those is a threat to dignity, I would submit. Well, that uh, other kind of modesty may be for another time, but I want to focus on the kind of modesty which has everything to do with promoting and preserving sexual purity. And I'll define that kind of modesty, especially important for women, this way. It's a certain kind of care in a woman, in the way she dresses and in the way she behaves, not to be sexually provocative to a man outside of marriage. Now, uh, did you hear the two modes of modesty? Uh, In the way she dresses and in the way she behaves. She has a certain kind of care not to be sexually provocative to a man outside of marriage. This is important for your daughters to know. And let's talk about both of those modes uh, of modesty. Immodesty is immodesty is dressing in sexually provocative ways. So, folks, you can't speak about biblical feminine modesty without saying something about clothing. So take uh, a reference I made last time. Uh, Back to Proverbs chapter 7, and uh, we're looking at a rather notorious example of an immodest woman in Proverbs 7. So at verse 6, the wise man says, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Now, uh, the picture being painted here uh, for the son of the wise man is of someone who is admittedly a lot more 
uh, than merely immodest. This is a seductress, we might say. This is a kind of woman the wise man is warning his son against. But I'm interested in that expression in verse 10, where he says the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. He doesn't call her a prostitute. She certainly is acting like one, but she, uh, the wise man says she's dressed like one. Prostitutes, uh, we know what he means. Prostitutes by profession are seeking to be sexually provocative. They're seeking to arouse sexual interest or desire in the men uh, that come in contact with her, and they know how to dress in such a way as to to do that. Uh, So this is just one example of how our clothing communicates, whether we think so or not, whether our children think so or not. Your kids may want to deny this. They may want to argue with you that their their clothing doesn't communicate anything, but of course it does. Uh, It can communicate professionalism. That's why you might be required to wear a coat and tie for a job interview. It may uh, communicate rebellion, which is seeking to break taboos in a society. It may just communicate individualism. Nobody else dresses like that. Clothing, though, communicates, and here's my point, uh, the clothing of a prostitute communicates, and it communicates at least two things. It communicates, I am desirable. She's making her sexual attributes known to men. And it communicates, I am available. She's offering herself to the men who see her, which is the logical consequence of the first. So here's the point, parents. Since clothing communicates undeniable fact of life, it must be wholesome and sexually pure communication. It should not be advertising sexual desirability, much less sexual availability the way a woman dressed like a prostitute is. And here's what this means. Uh, The immodest woman, whether she's clueless or very calculating, she's communicating the wrong message. So immodesty, first, is dressing in sexually provocative ways. But immodesty is also, right there in Proverbs 7, behaving in sexually provocative ways as well. So in this train wreck of a story that the wise man is uh, telling his son, uh, he goes on to describe immodest behavior. And once again, it's immodest behavior in the extreme. Verse 11, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him And as he goes on, as we would say it, she eventually propositions him. Now, uh, this is more than immodesty, again, to be sure. Uh, But it's immodesty in that it is behavior that's seeking to be sexually provocative. And uh, in Proverbs 7, that behavior is outrageous, it's scandalous, it's in the extreme form. But listen to Proverbs 6, verse 25, for a much more subtle example of immodest behavior. He says in verse 25, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. Solomon is 
talking about something that this woman might do with her eyes. What is he talking about? Well, oh, folks, you know, uh, it's the stuff of uh, poets and uh, songs. Uh, it's been called The Wiles of a Woman. It's been called Coming On to a Guy. And uh, this is what our daughters also need to know, not just in the terms of the way they dress, uh, but in the way that they behave. Their sexuality uh, can be used. They can acquire the ability to use it uh, as a form of influence with men. Now, I will interrupt myself to say uh, it is also true of men uh, that they can use their charms, we might say, with the ladies. And this is also a kind of immodesty of behavior, most definitely. Uh, Men can be guilty of this as well, and it's just as much a threat to sexual purity when they do it, if not more. But notice what's happening here. In both cases, whether men or women, the behavior is calculated to arouse interest or attraction in ways that can't be fulfilled in God-appointed means. And so even where uh, there's not the worst kind of calculating motive, uh, it's simply unkind. Uh, It's a kind of sexual defrauding of one another. One more time, I will not tire of noting this. Brothers and sisters, there is a time and place for sexually provocative behavior. (laughs) Uh, specifically for women to both dress and behave in ways that arouse the desire of a man, and it is, of course, the privacy of a man and woman's Christian marriage. But notice, what the immodest woman is doing is bringing something that belongs in the bedroom out into the public eye. And again, this is the kind of sin that pairs perfectly, you might say, with the masculine sin of lust. They're perfectly paired violations of the seventh commandment, which is, after all, as a commandment among the ten, all about God's love for and protection of marriage and sexual intimacy in marriage. So parents, uh, make no mistake, the modesty issue is a matter of the heart for your daughter. Uh, It's a matter of what she, in all of her emerging sexuality, truly and most deeply wants. When I have preached on this subject in the past, this has been my appeal to all my sisters in the Lord. It's along these lines. The battle in your heart for modesty and against immodesty depends on what your heart wants. And many women, if they are honest— will have to confess they want to be sexually attractive to men in general. They want to be seen as sexually desirable by all men. They want to show off their sexual endowments to all men. They want to turn the head of the average man in all these ways. Friends, I'm saying that is a very feminine form of lust, which is the word for desire. It's a very feminine form of lust. It's the lust to be lusted after. Conversely, the modest woman 
is first and foremost a contented woman. She's content to be recognized and appreciated and enjoyed for her sexuality by one man, the man she's married to, or in the case of your daughters, the man that, God willing, she will be married to. And folks, out of that kind of contentment I've just noted, the modest woman shows a kind of care a carefulness. Modesty is a kind of carefulness, not to be a sexual tease to the men in her life, whether intentionally or unintentionally. As I wrap up this second of the three big questions, parents, this is where I want to urge you to make a vitally important distinction with your daughters. Uh, Talk to your daughters about the difference between looking beautiful and looking sexy. Do this over time, many conversations, of course, but cultivate in them a sense of the difference between the two. So feminine beauty, I remind you, is something that's celebrated by the scriptures. It's not something godly women are responsible to keep hidden from the world. We know this because... For example, early in our Bibles, we're introduced to Sarah, a beautiful woman, something that becomes very clear to the Egyptians. Rachel, we're told, Genesis 29, was, quote, beautiful in form and appearance. Apparently, neither of these wives of the patriarchs were called to cover their beauty with a burqa. In fact, there's a long list of prominent women who are praised for their beauty in the Bible. So the virtue of feminine modesty, make this clear with your daughters, in no way entails a call to be ugly or a call to acquire a plain Jane look, whatever you want to call it. As a matter of fact, the Bible would be supportive of our daughters seeking to accentuate their beauty. Various kinds of adornment are also spoken of in the Scripture in positive ways. It is possible for a woman to be attractive, even stunningly so, to all who meet her, yet in a wholesome way. But, mom and dad, you know this. Our society provides endless tutoring to our daughters in how to be more than merely beautiful how to be sexy. So you say, what's the difference, Pastor Trice? Well, it's admittedly not an easy thing to define. I think it's found in a thousand details. Here's how I have sought to articulate it, and I submit it to you as you seek to articulate the difference between being beautiful and being sexy. When your daughter has dressed and adorned herself in beautiful ways, uh, she's achieved a look that I'll call holistic in its effect. The parts of her outfit and all their different ways contribute to a pleasing overall appearance. It's a kind of aesthetic attractiveness that's noble and wholesome, and people are drawn to her in the way they're drawn to all true beauty. But when your daughter has dressed herself in sexy ways... I submit to you, her clothing is tending to draw now attention to various parts of her body rather than the whole 
Uh, it's the various features of her female anatomy that are on display now. Uh, it's not an aesthetic attraction she's creating, but a very sexual attraction. And people, men in particular, I have in mind, of course, are drawn to her in the way they're drawn to anything that is sexually provocative. I think the best way to teach our daughters the difference between beautiful and sexy uh, is not only to point out what is inappropriately sexy, but to praise beauty. Whenever you see it in your daughters, you need to show that you're a fan of beauty and of their beauty as young women. You need to show that you're delighted, dads, when they're beautiful. Uh, and that will show over time what they're rightly aiming at as a woman. And that kind of emphasis and encouragement towards beauty uh, may be uh, very important when you need to spend some of your relational capital with your daughter uh, to steer them away uh, from the sexy stuff. Our culture is indoctrinating our kids at every turn. And one of the questions the culture asks is, why settle for beauty when you can also be sexy? Uh, so whether it's Sunday morning at church uh, or Monday morning at the office, you see this and you're to parent, brothers and sisters, we're to parent our daughters uh, in a better way. So all of that in order to seek to answer that second question, what is the aim of modesty or the error of immodesty? So now let's take up the third main question uh, of the hour, uh, and that's where we go from being a bit more abstract about the subject of modesty to folks uh, getting quite concrete and practical uh, the third question is, how do we go about instructing our daughters about modesty uh, in practical ways? Now, in the early years uh, of a little girl's life, uh, when modesty may really not be on your minds, uh, there is still opportunity uh, to begin, to begin this instruction, particularly in instilling in our little girl daughters a sense of privacy and a sense of propriety. Uh, so there will be a certain natural sense of modesty in most of our daughters. And when you see that emerging in them, a, a newfound aversion, for example, for against anyone being in the room when they're getting undressed, then affirm that. Don't treat that uh, lightly. It's a good thing. And for those uh, of our children that seem to be missing a little bit of that natural sense of modesty and it needs to be inculcated, well, uh, you can make, um, you can give directions uh, in that area. If you have a little exhibitionist in the family, well, you know what I mean. I've already made a plea uh, to parents. Uh, let's don't wait until puberty hits. Uh, to start inculcating modesty in little girls. Uh, let's be talking about how uh, nakedness is for babies. It's not for little girls. Uh, little boys may not always have to wear a shirt, but little girls most definitely do. Uh, and yeah, when little girls are wearing dresses, uh, that calls for a certain kind of behavior, lest 
uh, they become immodest. Well, uh, let's turn to where the real heavy lifting takes place in parenting. It's not so much in the early years, as important as those years are. Uh, It's in those years uh, in which your daughter is becoming a young woman. Uh, And this is where I want to emphasize, parents, uh, it's time. It's time to set guidelines for the clothing that your daughter or your daughters are going to wear, uh, to be as clear as you can in commuting those guide, communicating those guidelines, uh, and then be willing to enforce them. Uh, dads, you in particular uh, need to set a thoughtful standard of modesty for your daughters, and you need to be the one, ultimately, who's committed to enforcing it. So how do you go about doing that? Um, we all know that there are are ways that clothing can become immodest. We as parents hopefully are watching for that and are on guard against that, but we ultimately want our daughters to be watching for that and on guard for that in terms of what they themselves wear. How do we talk uh, to our daughters about this? Well, what I'm about to uh, suggest is far from being rocket science, but I offer it because I do think Uh, that many parents are seemingly oblivious uh, to how to go about doing this. So let me say that there are seemingly uh, the three big issues that pertain to your daughter's clothes that that you need to be concerned about and that she needs to be concerned about. And as soon as I say three, I'm going to add a fourth one, uh, as you will see uh, in just a moment. So actually, four things. I'll put it in terms of questions. Number one, is it too low. Of course, this is primarily a reference to uh, shirts and blouses and the neckline of dresses. And uh, this is just a reflection of the fact that, uh, well, your daughter's clothing designers are eager to reveal a daring amount of her shoulders, her chest, and ultimately, of course, the most sexually provocative part of her upper body. And I'm referring to her breasts. Uh, Parents, say no to cleavage for your daughter's sake. A garment that gives men a little peep show at your daughter's breasts, uh, that's a garment that's too low. It needs to be clear to your daughter she's not going to leave your house uh, dressed that way. And this could become an issue of tension. Be prepared as puberty brings uh, endowments to your daughter and uh, she feels some temptation to want to be noticed for them. And this is where, mom and dad, you need to be gentle uh, but firm. That's a part of your body, not part of it, the whole of that part of your body uh, that's not for public viewing. I do, uh, from time to time, uh, feel sorry for uh, Christian girls uh, who I think know instinctively that they're wearing something that is too low, and it's manifested even in self-conscious ways uh, by tugging at themselves, pulling their neckline up, or repositioning their clothing uh, to be more modest. Uh, This first question, is it too low? That's the kind of immodesty that uh, 
over many years. I've seen most often in churches, frankly, and even the uh, Victorians who were notorious for all kinds of prudishness. Uh, well, they had their exhibitionism in this area, didn't they? Which just shows that every generation has their blindness. So that's the first question or the first issue. Uh, the second, is it too high? First is, is it too low? The second is, is it too high? And this is typically the question of how, well, short the shorts are, how high the hem of the skirt or dress is. And that, of course, gets to the question of how much leg your young lady is showing off in that outfit. The undeniable fact about this concern is that the more skin, uh, the more sexy they look. Now, I know modesty is about a lot more than square inches of exposure, but friends, it is a fact the sheer amount of skin uh, that can be shown off in an outfit is itself a sexually provocative thing. It's a degree of nakedness, uh, which ought to be a shameful thing from biblical, a biblical perspective. So yes, this will be very challenging. Um, is it too high? A modest height for a dress, for example, is relative, isn't it, to your daughter's stature, her posture, her activities, and so on. And I'll just um, acknowledge with fashion being what it is, you're constantly going to be presented with borderline options, uh, hard judgment calls as you interact with your daughter and seek to lead her in this. My plea to parents uh, is don't allow your daughter a look uh, that is barely modest. A useful question as you are interacting on such things is maybe a first of yourself. Would you be comfortable if it was any shorter or any higher? And if the answer is <laughs> no, definitely not, then ask the second or the follow-up question, why do you want to be uh, right on the border of immodest? So the first issue that comes up invariably, is it too low? Second, is it too high? The third, is it too tight? Parents, I submit to you, this is the most everyday form of immodesty that your daughters will tend towards. Uh, even conscientious Christian girls I think it's intuitive to them that modesty requires covering. But I think it's often lost on them that when the covering itself is skin tight, well, there's practically nothing covered, actually. Uh, so, parents, uh, you might uh, just to put a little bit of humor into some difficult conversations say, sweetheart, we've got a TMI problem. Uh, with that outfit. Uh, that spandex shirt is providing too much information, dear, about your breasts. Or those leggings are providing a little too much information about your derriere, my dear. Uh, all the men uh, listening at this point uh, can affirm uh, that there are these days kinds of workout gear or workout wear, rather, uh, that could hardly be more sexually provocative uh, than, than total nakedness. 
Um, a woman could be covered practically from head to foot with some kind of modern-day fabric, but still leave almost nothing to the imagination. <laughs> this is not just uh, the ruminations or observations of a Presbyterian minister. Uh, I just recently had come into my hand uh, a comment by a bemused female pundit, not a Christian, uh, who was speaking of women's fashion in the 2020s, and she writes, we're seeing more and more people opt out of wearing pants. It's like the hemline index has come so high, we've actually foregone the skirt or the shorts altogether. We're just wearing underwear and pantyhose. This is um, a voice from uh, the broader uh, secular culture that is saying essentially the lady has no clothes. And uh, again, folks, I think this is a blind spot uh, in our corner of Christianity. We parents, it would appear, are willing to put the bodies of our little girls or not-so-little girls out there in full view, not because they're not wrapped, but because they are, well, shrink-wrapped. And their clothing tells all. So, too low, is that a question? Too high, is that a question? Too tight. And then I set out a fourth, I'll add, though, indeed, I'm aware it's a subjective category in the midst of a very subjective subject, I'm fully aware. But it's the question, is it too suggestive? Your daughters, mom and dad, uh, need to know that the folks whose influence prevails in the fashion industry are seeking to sexualize their clothing in subtle ways, not just overt ways. And I'm referring here to the introduction over time of various features in women's clothing that have sexual connotations. This is so obvious in the about the garment industry that I actually see from time to time protests from secular sources about this, especially when that kind of clothing is marketed to younger girls. And what I'm calling for here is parents leading their daughters to have a savvy eye for this, to be cultural critics in this area of fashion. I was at a formal event recently, uh, and a woman was wearing a floor-length dress, but with a slit in the side that extended at least halfway up her thigh, and which became obvious at certain moments as she moved about. I was thinking ahead to this podcast. I found myself musing, why is that so much more suggestive than a pair of shorts that perhaps doesn't show any more leg, if you will. And I don't know if I know for sure the answer to that. I think it has something to do with being a visual tease uh, that such clothing can provide to, again, visually oriented men. All the skin is there, then it's gone, then it's there, depending on how she's moving about. I've watched... Uh, as a dad raising a daughter, uh, other trends in women's clothing that I regard as highly suggestive. I have seen undergarments like bras becoming entirely acceptable to expose. Parents, please say this 
dear, guys do not need to see your underwear under any circumstances <sighs> until you're married. You uh, perhaps have seen, as I have, the way that bedroom wear and lacy styles of bedroom wear, I'll call it, is making its appearance in everyday wear. Parents, perhaps you need to say, dear, it's pretty, but it's got kind of a Victoria's Secret vibe going. Uh, why is the lettering across the back of the gym shorts that that girl is wearing? I think it may be to draw the eye in that particular direction. Why are the buttons on the buttonfly jeans a feature? It may well be the same purpose. The tie up to the blouse that seems to give off a barmaid vibe. Some cases, even uh, leather or jewelry that seems to be borrowed from a rather seamy uh, world indeed. Folks, whatever illustration uh, you choose to uh, accept, I trust that we can agree uh, that clothing is not just overtly sexual. It can at times be intentionally suggestive. And it takes some pretty willful naivete to deny uh, that fact. Uh, at least to deny it if you are a parent. Uh, depending on the age and the experience of your daughter, this may actually be incomprehensible to her. Ma, Dad, no one thinks that. That has nothing to do with that. You, you actually might be the one accused of having the dirty mind. Of course, there is one particularly obvious reason that this gap might exist. Uh, your daughter's not sexually initiated. No experiential knowledge, hopefully, uh, of what makes something sexy to a man. There's a whole world she's not been introduced to yet, at least experientially. But that's why it's your job uh, to be alerting her uh, to our society's insidious anti-modesty agenda and our society's commitment, it seems, to constantly be breaking sexual taboos and bringing what is proper in the private and the intimate out into the open for everyone to see. So, my friends, this is my attempt uh, to articulate how it is that we as parents can communicate guidelines for modesty to our daughters as part of the everyday culture of our home, and then to enforce them. And I'm suggesting that conversations about too low, too tight, too high, too suggestive, that is uh, inevitably uh, what faithfulness in this area uh, will come to in concrete terms. Uh, parents, it occurs to me to say, uh, please be proactive about this for everyone's sake, but especially your daughters. So uh, these are decisions that need to be made and evaluations that need to be made as clothing is being considered for purchase. Uh, make sure that your teenage daughter knows the clothes that she's going to run off and buy have to pass your inspection, and you may or may not be able to be with her, but make sure as... It was the case in my house that if you've not been able to see it and there's any question, uh, she needs to keep the receipts. Dad, uh, man up. 
to this part of your job. Be willing to make hard calls. Be prepared to say, I'm really sorry, sweetie, but you can't wear that. (laughs) If you never have to tell your daughter kindly, graciously, gently, that she's going to need to go change, well, you are either managing the modesty issue incredibly well, far better than I ever was able to do, or you just might be asleep at the wheel. Um, I'm afraid a lot of Christian dads are in our day. Moms, support your husbands in this. Uh, Be on his team. Uh, Even those moments when they may come that you're not convinced by his judgment call. Remember, moms, that you have a unique role in helping your daughter understand what makes things suggestive to men, what makes things sexually provocative. Be willing, mom, to say, sweetie, you will understand. You have to take my word for it now, but you will understand Uh, one day when you're married. If nothing else, uh, simply support uh, your husband, her father's uh, leadership in this area. Be a team, dad and mom. Well, I think what I want to do as I conclude this uh, uh, difficult subject, much controverted subject, uh, is to remind you, parents, that all in all of this leadership of your daughters towards biblical modesty, uh, you need to be supportive of them in light of the self-sacrifice that is entailed in being modest. Folks, it's just hard. I know this so well. Can I utter with all parents uh, conscientious about this subject a loud lament? It's hard to find clothing that is everything we want, that is fetching, as I like to say, that's cute, that's beautiful, and that's also consistent with biblical modesty. I've compared it before to like uh, trying to find good, healthy food at a gas station stop. After all, we're buying our clothes from a degenerate world, especially here in the West. And so be full of sympathy, mom and especially dad, in this area. Recognize this is quite a big ask uh, of our daughters to be keeping these standards of modesty in mind and shopping where they have to shop in order to find their clothes. It's hard. There's something else uh, that calls for support uh, of your daughters, and that is that there is, it would appear, inevitably some kind of price that women who are modest pay in our day. I'm just referring to the fact that they don't get the attention of guys the same way, at least the same way that their friends do, who put it all out there. I've noticed this um, over the years watching young people. Of course, beautiful young people are naturally the center of attention, but even girls of ordinary endowments can gain that same kind of attention if they're willing to show off a little skin, 
a little TMI. Of course, this is not to the credit of the men around them, to be sure. But it's painful to me to see that at multiple levels, um, particularly because I feel for the girls for whom modesty is important. And um, your daughter will likely feel that cost. She's not turning the heads of the guys the way so-and-so is because she doesn't have the same standards of modesty. Parents, remind your daughter or your daughters that she's waiting for the man who will be glad to be the one that she's been saving herself for. God has appointed rewards for righteousness, and we have no reason uh, to think that the time will come when we will regret purity or modesty as we go down the aisle. Indeed, in the eyes of a spiritually-minded man, the kind of man you want for your daughters, there's a, there can be a proper mystique about a modest Christian woman. Give your daughter a vision of this. When a woman says by her clothing, not, if I've got it, I'm going to flaunt it, but rather says by her clothing, what I've got, I intend to give, but only to one man. Modesty is no enemy of romance. Assure your daughters of this when the right guy is involved. But I will say that in all of this, we don't pursue purity for some kind of guaranteed payoff in romance and marriage. Modesty in women, like purity in men, it is ultimately a matter of holiness. It's part of a sacrificial pursuit of God's will for our lives. And like a lot of other holiness issues, it involves self-sacrifice. So come alongside of your daughters in the same way that I urged you to come alongside your sons uh, and fight the world, the flesh and the devil uh, in this area. And be full of encouragement for your daughters, full of support as they seek to be women of beauty and of modesty. Well, my friends, that is my uh, best effort, I think, uh, to tackle a very important, often controverted subject. Uh, As I wrap this podcast up, I'm aware that there's probably some who've listened to this for whom it's the first practical instruction or exhortation that's ever been received in this area. And uh, you, you may still not be sure what to think of it. So, as I mentioned at the outset, with that in mind, I'm planning a little uh, addendum uh, to this subject. I'm going to try to anticipate questions, maybe even objections to what I've said. Uh, But for today, uh, this is plenty sufficient uh, for one podcast. I'm going to uh, leave you uh, to mull on this subject of modesty in daughters uh, prayerfully. I'll just say it's good to be back in the podcasting saddle again, and I have plans beyond this subject for several other very important subjects, especially for parenting our sons and daughters uh, in that second decade. Friends, Happy New Year. Uh, Be encouraged. Uh, Christ is risen. You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. 
This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.